This is the story of writing for October 10th, 2023. On this day in 1973, Spiro Agnew resigned as U.S. Vice President. The lead-up to the resignation involved allegations, then press reports of bribery. An investigation by the U.S. Attorney for the District of Maryland found evidence of several instances of bribery, kickbacks, and other financial fraud that began when Agnew was a mid-level functionary in Maryland state government and continued through his term as governor and even into his time as vice president of the United States under Richard Nixon. Faced with the evidence, Agnew resigned. Soon after, he was disbarred as an attorney and became a business consultant to earn money. Among his clients were the murderous dictators Saddam Hussein of Iraq and Nicolae Ceausescu of Romania. In 1980, Agnew turned to the crown prince and leader of Saudi Arabia for financial support. In exchange for the Saudi money, Agnew promised to launch a fact-free, anti-Semitic campaign against Jewish people and Zionists. He told the prince that he would, quote, continue my effort to inform the American people of Zionist control of the media and other influential sectors of American society. A month later, Agnew thanked the prince for giving him, quote, the resources to continue the battle against the Zionist community here in the U.S. Around this time, a Maryland lawsuit called on Agnew to repay the state more than $250,000 for the bribes he took as a public employee and the accumulated interest. The judge ruled that, quote, Agnew had no lawful right to this money under any theory and ordered him to pay the state nearly that amount for the kickbacks and interest. Agnew appealed the ruling twice before finally paying back the state in 1983. A few years later, Agnew asked if his repayment of the bribes could be treated as tax-deductible. That request was denied. Agnew also claimed, without evidence, that Nixon's chief of staff suggested to Agnew that if he did not resign, he would be assassinated. Several people who worked in the Nixon administration called those allegations absurd. In his desultory obituary of Richard Nixon, the writer Hunter S. Thompson described Spiro Agnew as, quote, a flat-out knee-crawling thug with the morals of a weasel on speed. It is the birthday in 1870 of Australian journalist and poet Louise Mack. She wrote 16 novels, one book of poetry, and was one of the first women war reporters, sending dispatches to Australian newspapers from the front lines of World War I. And it is the birthday of the man who wrote, It is very difficult to feel contempt for others when you see yourself in the mirror. English playwright and Nobel laureate Harold Pinter was born on this day in 1930. He was awarded the 2005 Nobel Prize for Literature for his work that, according to the Nobel Committee, quote, uncovers the precipice under everyday prattle and forces entry into oppression's closed rooms. It is also the birthday of the woman who wrote, Surprising yourself is a big thing for me, to go somewhere that I don't even know I'm going. American novelist Lily Tuck was born on this day in 1938. Her book, The News from Paraguay, won the 2004 National Book Award for fiction. Tuck is also a Guggenheim Fellow. And it is the birthday of the man who sang, There's a Hold in Daddy's Arm Where All the Money Goes singer-songwriter, guitarist, and part bard, part jester for the confused and dispossessed every guy, John Prine was born on this day in 1946. He's been described as the Mark Twain of music, 
and his fans include Bob Dylan, Paul Simon, Salman Rushdie, Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash, and Roger Waters. Today's reading is from A Woman's Experiences in the Great War, an Australian author's clandestine journey through war-torn Belgium, written by Louise Mack and published in 1915. As I looked from the train windows, I soon discovered that I had entered now into the very heart of German ruin and pillage and destructiveness. Pangs of horror attacked me at the sight of those blackened, roofless houses, standing lonely and deserted among green, thriving fields. I saw one little farm after another reduced to a heap of blackened ashes, with some lonely animals gazing terrified into space. Sometimes just one wall would be standing of what was once a home. Sometimes only the front of the house had been blown out by shells, and you could see right inside, see the rooms spread out before you like a panorama, see the children's toys and frocks lying about, and the pots and pans, even the remains of dinner still on the table, and all the homely little things that made you feel so intensely the difference between this chill, deathly desolation, and the happy domestic life that had gone on in such peaceful streams before the Huns set their faces toward Belgium. And that is the story of writing for October 10th. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.